This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Good, 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 good to see you here. If you're watching by live stream, glad to have you. If you are here to get baptized, you need to get out of here. Oh, you need to go back there. There's a class for you, so just make your ways back there to the corner, and they'll direct you. Um, if you aren't signed up to get baptized, go ahead and go back there. They'll, they'll take you, I promise you. All right, good to see all of you. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand up real high, or ushers will get you the Word of God. Once you get a Bible, go with me to Proverbs chapter 1. We'll be Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 2 to start this morning. Uh, before we get going on those lines, as you're turning to Proverbs 1, again, if you need a Bible, get your hand up real high. Uh, la- last Wednesday night, I-, I know many of you aren't here and our teens have their own service, but I, I got over on speaking on Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and just, just to paraphrase just a little bit off of it, it's where the four guys, their buddy was paralyzed, and they got word that Jesus was in Capernaum, and so they said, man, we got to get Jesus, uh, we got we to get our buddy to the feet of Jesus. And in the story, they, they get there, and the crowds are so big, they can't get in. And instead of looking at that as a dead end, they looked at that as a detour. And so what do they do? They get up on the roof, and they tear a hole in it. And they get their buddy down before Jesus. And the Bible says, the Word of God says, and Jesus saw their faith. And so I'm studying on these lines last week, and man, it just began to stir in me. So when Jesus saw their faith, what did he see? He saw perseverance. He saw four guys that said, you know what? I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get my buddy to the feet of Jesus. But here's the big thing. They wouldn't have taken their buddy there to get him before Jesus if there wasn't an expectation. Now, I highlight that. Do do you have an expectation when you come to church? Because I think about this. I, I, I don't leave home without my wallet. I don't leave home without my watch. I mean, many of us, we don't leave home without our cell phones. But do I come with an expectation? I think, you know what? I'm not going to leave my expectation at home. I'm, I'm going to come with an expectation. And I'm going to believe God's going to do something today. Whether that's to save, whether that's to heal, to set free. And I highlight that because I really sense God moving in that area again right now. So again, don't leave your expectation at home, okay? Bring it with you to the house of God. All right, turn with me to Proverbs 1. We are still on our series here, the fear of the Lord. And many times with the fear of the Lord, a lack of the fear of the Lord, we, we don't feel like we're in God's presence. And then we live like we're not in God's presence. And what I mean by that is God sees everything you do. God sees everything I do. Not only does God see everything I, I do, he knows the attitude behind what I do. And so we're not fooling God. But I believe part of that is if I lived with the reverential fear of God, man, I'm going to stand before God with respect and honor. So we start here, and I believe the Word of God today will give you some more definitions of the fear of God. Proverbs 1 verse 7. This is a good one. The fear of the Lord, the submission to the Lord, the awe of God, the reverence of God, the respect of God is the beginning 
It's the first step. It's the prerequisite of knowledge. And so the only way I get the knowledge of God is when I live with a reverential fear of God. I just stand of awe of Him. And it's interesting that He uses these words here. It's the beginning of knowledge. Well, what does knowledge do for me? It teaches me not just to know about God, but to actually know God. I mean, every one of us here, we probably know a little bit about God, but do I actually know God in a personal way? And he says right here, the beginning of, of knowledge goes back to the fear of God. In other words, you're not going to fear God, or you're not going to get to know God without fearing God. Now, it goes on to say at the end of verse 7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools hate wisdom and instruction. Now, I hate to do this to you, but could you be defined as a fool right now? Again, if I hate wisdom and instruction, he said, you're a fool. Well, the truth of the matter, every one of us at one time or another, and I, I've been a fool pertaining to the things of God. But I don't have to stay that way. Turn one chapter to chapter 2, verse 1. I believe we've been here in this, ser this series. What you're going to see in verses 1 through 5, you're going to see three ifs. If. And so when you see the ifs, I must meet the condition of the ifs. We begin in verse 1, Proverbs 2, 1. My son, here's the first if. If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. Now it's interesting, he said, if you accept them, if you welcome them, do I view God's word as a treasure? Verse 2, so that you incline or tune your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. In other words, you're going to have to get your ear to hear the word of God, and you're going to have to apply your heart to get the understanding. You're going to have to do something. Verse 3. Yes, the, the next if. If you cry out or you pray for discernment, and you lift up your voice, for understanding. These become priorities. I got to cry out. I got to lift up my voice. I got to call out to God. Verse 4. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, you must become like a prospector. You know, it's been said about the Word of God that it's buried treasure. And when there's buried treasure, you're going to have to dig for it. You're going to have to dig for the Word of God. I, I think about the word prospector here, or prospector, and as they go out to look for gold, the majority of the days they look for gold, they don't find anything, or it's very minimal. But they don't quit. They keep going day by day by day by day. And I believe this is the inside here of the Proverbs that you got to keep going after it. You got to go after this buried treasure. Verse 5. Then. What's the then? 
What's the then about? If I go back and I look at everything, one, two, three, four, every bit of it highlighted to the degree that I go after the Word of God, whether I, I seek it, I, I hunt for it, I incline my ear to it, I get it into my heart. And so he says, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now look how he ends the end of it. And you will find the knowledge of God. So to know God is parallel to fear God. I'm never going to know God unless I actually fear God. And so when you look at everything he was talking about, the emphasis was on the Word of God. The way I show God that I fear Him is the way I obey Him. The way I honor and respect Him. Now I want you to go into a New Testament passage, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the reason I'm taking you here is because the emphasis on the Word of God it does not cease in the New Testament. We're, we're going to have to hang on to the Word of God. You've heard me say this numerous times. You get into the Word, God will get into you. And I believe it's very important that we hear this. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to this young pastor named Timothy. Start with me in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. And Paul says, I charge you, therefore, before God. I charge you. Now, that word charge in the Greek literally means an emphatic testimony in a court of law. In other words, when you see the word charge in a court of law, it would mean somebody has pressed charges against you. And for those charges to stick, they're going to have to have some evidence. So he says here, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. So what he's just now reading in this for me and you is I don't care if you're living or you're dead. The day's coming where you're going to stand before Father God and he's going to judge you. He's going to judge me. And so immediately the Apostle Paul is letting this pastor Timothy understand everything you do, pal, God sees it. And you're going to be held accountable for everything you see. Verse 2, preach the word. Now it's interesting right here, his very first thing that he says after the judgment is he said, preach the word. He didn't say preach politics. So, could the church house be more important than the White House? I do believe so. And it's interesting right here, this is what he said. He said, preach the word. He didn't say, preach the ideas, the philosophies of man. He said, preach the word. And so, if he tells Timothy, preach the word, it must give us insight how important and significant the word of God is to us. And the Apostle Paul doesn't back off. Preach the word. He goes on to say, verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient or it's inconvenient. When it's popular or it's unpopular. Convince, rebuke, 
Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Challenge, urge, and war. So when I read this, he says not only to preach the word, he said your job is to convince. Your job is to rebuke. You know what the word rebuke means? A strong disapproval or a reprimand. That's what we're supposed to do as pastors. Not in a sense that I'm better than you. Not in a sense that I'm perfect. I can stand before you. I'm far from perfect. I blow it. Not every day, but every hour of every day. But I can't get away what he said. And he said, and correct. But what happens within the church is correction as viewed as rejection to a person that's not healed. Well, I don't like correction. Well, sorry, Bubba. But the Bible told me to correct. And the way we correct is through the Word of God. And so if your life views correction as rejection, then you're probably pretty unhealthy. That hurt, Pastor. Sometimes the truth hurts. And then he ends and says, warn. Warn. Why? For the time will come when they... Who's the they? The people of God. The house of God. They will not endure sound doctrine. They will not have a stomach for sound doctrine. You know what sound doctrine is? The B-I-B-L-E. And I believe we're in this time right now where people don't want sound doctrine. And so if I don't have sound doctrine, what do I replace it with? He goes on to say, for their own desires, their own pleasing, their own gratification. And how does that look? Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teacher that foster the errors they hold. You know what that means? Tell us what we want to hear instead of what we need to hear. Pastor, every service we want you to give us Twinkies and cupcakes. We don't want spinach and asparagus. You know what I found out about spinach and asparagus? A lot of times, those are tastes you get to like over a period of time. How many of you growing up never liked spinach or asparagus? Probably many of us. How many of you like it now? I really like it now. How'd that happen? Well, I acquired that taste. How'd you acquire it? My mom kept making me eat, and Shelly would say, eat it. That's all we got. It's all we got. It's all we got. Open up. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They will settle for the artificial instead of the authentic. But look what he says here. But you be watchful. Pay attention. In all things, not just a few things, in all things, endure affliction. Again, you know what I believe he's telling us? Even against opposition, it's not always going to be popular. Stay with it. 
Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So you know what he's telling you? Stay with the assignment. Stay with it. Don't get off the assignment. And so I believe right here you begin to get a little, little view possibly of just where we're going today. The significance of the word of God. You saw that in Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, and then here. Now I want you to go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 2. You say, where is that? Well, it's right after Proverbs. So you go to the Proverbs, then you'll get to Ecclesiastes. If you get to Song of Solomon, you've gone just a little too far. The word Ecclesiastes or Ecclesia means the assembly, the church. Most believe, and I believe it's pretty significant to say this or write that the writer of Ecclesiastes was Solomon, the son of King David. In this book, and I encourage you to read the entire book, it's only 12 chapters. But he uses a couple words that I want to highlight. One word he uses over and over and over is the word vanity. Meaningless, useless, pointless. And he's going to talk about the things of this earth. Then then he gets over and he uses a word under the sun. And he's talking about in this life. And then he uses another statement called grasping for the wind. Now, when I highlight this guy named Solomon, this guy has everything. He goes through life, I mean, you name it, he's got it. He's got Harleys, he's got boats, he's got yachts. He's got everything imaginable. He owns Amazon, he owns Google, he owns Apple, he owns all the pro teams, he owns the Lakers, he owns the Yankees, he owns the Cowboys. No, he sold them last week. (laughs) He doesn't own them anymore. Sorry, Cowboy fans, sorry. Maybe we shouldn't have said that. This guy's got everything, okay? He's got 750 wives. You know what that means? Oh, I didn't say that. (laughs) Wow. He's got everything, everything under the sun. So we start here in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 9. He said, so I became great. I excelled or I increased more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. One translation literally says that I I left them in the dust, everybody else. Also, now listen to this, my wisdom remained with me. Why do we highlight that? Because if you study his life, he was viewed as the wisest person that ever walked this earth. To understand his wisdom, you can find it in 1 Kings 3, but he says, my wisdom. I'm so smart. You know what? I could win in jeopardy every week. That's how smart I am. My wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't have wisdom, but the point of me highlighting this is, hey, pal, 
Who do you think gave you that wisdom? Well, my mom and dad were pretty sharp. They're not that sharp. You go back and you look. God graced him with all that wisdom. So he says, my wisdom. So there's an air of pride within him. We keep reading and he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Anything I saw with my eyes, I, I went and got it. I got Ray-Bans, I got Oakley's. I got this purse, I got this. Anything my eyes, I had it. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. You know what that said right there? I never said no to myself. Here's a question off of that. Who in your life right now can tell you no? And if you answer and say, nobody can tell me no, Ooh, you're living on dangerous territory. It almost acts like I'm up here. I can do whatever I want. I think there's something that happens when we live with an accountability to somebody to say, I can't say no, but I need you to help me to say no. He goes on to say, and this was my reward from all my labor. This was my rewards how I rewarded myself. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, everything that I had accomplished, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, now listen to this, all was vanity. Circle all, all. A-L-L, all was vanity. Every bit of the things that I worked so hard to achieve and accomplish, it was all vanity. But he doesn't stop there. Not only was it all vanity, he goes on to say, it was grasping for the wind. I don't know if you've ever tried to grasp for the wind. It's pretty elusive. That statement there, grasp for the wind, he uses it 29 times in 12 verses. And he goes on to say, there was no prophet under the sun. There was no prophet. None of it did me any good. Now, when I read those verses there, if you'll note in there, not one time did he mention God. We move to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he starts out and he says, there's a time for everything. Then he gets in these 28 cycles or seasons of life. And I believe if you live long enough, you'll experience every one of these. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And so he lists all these cycles of life. And one of the reasons I I highlight these is without God, all these challenges that we face in this life, without God, 
we have no lasting solutions. None of it. So we pick up right after that in verse 9. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 9. What profit has the work from that in which he labors? In other words, in the, in the end, what's the profit of all your labor? Now, he's not telling us don't get up and work. That's not what he's telling us. Verse 10. I have seen the God-given task which the sons of men are to be occupied. He says, I see the labors and how busy mankind is. Verse 11. But God has made everything beautiful in its time. You know what this literally means? In Genesis 1, God looked upon everything he made and he said, it's good. It's good. So when highlighting that, I want you to get something real quick. God wants all of us to enjoy our life. That's not what he's talking about. He wants us to enjoy our lives. So keep reading, and I'm going to fill in the blanks through, this, through Solomon's words. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Do you know every human being has eternity put in their hearts? We have a sense of knowing there's a God. There's eternity in every heart. Now, the thing with eternity that can get us is there's only two options, okay? Heaven and hell. But eternity is in every heart except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. In other words, you're not going to know the full scope of everything that God does. Sometimes I look at the things that God does and I say, wow. If you remember in the book of Job, when Job thought he was so smart, God said to him, he said, hey, did you tell the rivers which way to flow? Did, did you tell the leaves when to change colors? He actually says to Job, he said, do you have the ability or power to tell the water bottles in heaven to turn over and water the earth? I don't think so. And so there's things that will happen with God right here on the earth while I'm here that they just become a head scratcher. They think, I'm probably never going to know that until I get to heaven, but I'm good with that. I trust Father God. This is what this is talking about. Verse 12. I know that nothing is better for them to rejoice and to do good in their lives. Now he says, God wants you to rejoice in this. He wants you to do good. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So what I see here that our God says, I want to bless you. You know what bless means? Happy fortune to be envy. God wants to bless us. So he's not against me and you be blessed. But here's where the problem becomes. When we quit giving God thanks. When we act like everything I have is because of just how brilliant I am. But what would happen if I would receive everything with thanksgiving? That's what the Bible says. Amen. Receive Father God, thank you. Thank you. How many have been promoted lately? Anybody in here been promoted? Raise your hand. You've been promoted? There's a few hands. Did you give God the glory? Or did you say, man, I am stinking brilliant. You're not that smart, okay? You're deceived. How many have gotten a new house lately? Anybody here got a new house? Say, God's not against new homes. But he says, who do I give thanks to? 
And so this is all this is that I go back and I say, man, Father God, you have blessed my socks off. I am a blessed. Is anybody in here blessed? I'm blessed. I I am a blessed human being. And here's a good one. You have a good marriage and you think your marriage is so good because you're sweetie pie. That's not true. My marriage is blessed and I got a good marriage because God has blessed it and I look to God to help me. See, again, this is what all this goes back to. But watch 14. Mm, This gets really good. I know that whatever God does, it'll be forever. Final. Nothing can be added to it or nothing can be subtracted from it. And listen, listen real close. And God does it, and God does it. Why does God do it? That men should fear before him. That I would live with a reverential respect. A reverential honor. Oh, man, Father God, I, I just thank you. Now, you got to realize when you're reading this, we're early in Ecclesiastes. And so he's writing all the things. And already I almost begin to sense within in King Solomon, there's some regret within him. Now, because of time's sake, I'm going to have you to go with me to the last chapter, Ecclesiastes 12. And as you're turning there, we've talked about the judgment of God. We've touched about obedience to God, the reverential fear to God. So I I go back to a story I told probably a month or so ago on this. And many of you remember the pastor, Jim Baker, the man of God. Jim Baker began to become famous him and his wife their ministry began to do this fame fortune prestige all of it but he lost everything he got sent to prison and the man of God that went to him in prison said to him And I'm so sorry you're having to do all this time in jail. And his response was, no. This was the mercy of God. If it wasn't for God's mercy, he said, I was on a collision for judgment. And out of his own mouth, he said, I don't know that I would have spent eternity in heaven if God wouldn't have got my attention. See, a lot of times we look at the things God does as negative. Sometimes it's not negative. It's a positive. And so the man of God that went in there, remember, said this to him. He said, Reverend Baker, when did you stop loving the Lord Jesus? And he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I just quit fearing him. Wow. So we rewind to this guy named Solomon The end is his life. And it's like here we get to this and he's saying, 
if I could just do life all over again. And I believe he's saying to me and you, it's not too late to change how you're doing life. And he says in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 8, he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. It's useless. It's meaningless. It's futile. It's empty. It's pointless. Now again, he's at the end of his life, and he's looking in the rearview mirror of life, and he's realizing that that ownership of all those things, all my possessions, nothing. How many of you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Can I give you a little insight? What you have is not going with you, okay? They can fill your casket with that stuff. Not going to do any good. So listen to what he says in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the whole story. This is the end of the matter. This is my final words. Fear God and keep his commandments or do what he tells you. Fear the Lord and obey him. You know what he's saying here? It's just not enough for you to know about God. It's not just enough to write about God or to read about him. We must know him and we must follow him. This is the greatest achievement of them all and the fulfillment of every person or every human being. Now, when I read this, you know what I hear him saying? I got great regrets. I got great regrets. Anybody in here got great regrets? Probably all of us. Yesterday's over. Tomorrow's not here. All I got's today. I got to make my today's count. You know, I didn't come to know Jesus until right around 20 years old. I, I, I wish I could have gone back and served Jesus as a teenager. But you know what I found out? God's not into a wishbone. He's into a backbone. I can't go back. But Solomon didn't end. He said at the last part of verse 13, for this is man's all. This is man's all. The things of this world, they're going to pass away. But only man's relationship with God will matter. And my priorities and your priorities shouldn't lie in the things of this world, but in my relationship with Father God. Do you know the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, he said, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Is there anything in this world that I would rather have than lose my soul? He says in verse 14, for God will bring every work into judgment. Every work, including every secret thing, 
whether good or evil. You know what that means? It's all going to come to light. Every bit of it. And again, I look at this and I think, this is Solomon saying, I'm going to warn you here, okay? Have, have you gotten off course? Are you out of alignment? Have you drifted from the things of God? And I can hear him, it's like he's screaming at us. It's not too late. But you've got to live with the fear of God, and I've got to live to obey him. And when I obey him, I'm obeying the word of God. You know what's interesting about the, the things of God? In our society right now, we like to tell people who we think God is. But what would happen if we would allow God to tell us who he is? And what I mean by that is God says, I'm Father God. I'm the Lord Jesus. I'm the Holy Spirit. Instead of allowing people to think, well, God is this or God's that. All I got to do is get into my Bible and I begin to read and this is who God is. God's a holy God. God's a just God. You know what just means? He'll do just what he said he'll do. But I must understand this. I get one opportunity at this thing called life. Why don't you stand up here with me today? You know, when I read this about him, it's almost like he's saying, I don't like how I define my life. I allowed the things of the world to define me instead of God. And so I ask you to bow your head right now. What do you allow to define your life? Is your goal to be called a millionaire, a billionaire? Is my goal to be called doctor? And I'm not against doctor. I'm not against that at all, okay? Professor, president. See, those are just titles, but they don't define who I am. And I must allow God to define who I am. And sometimes in this thing called life, we become what I call a triple option or a triple threat. We've stumbled, we've fumbled, and we've fallen. All Proverbs 23, 7. It's not Proverbs 23, 7. Proverbs 7, I believe, where it says, a righteous man will fall seven times. But he gets back up. I just keep getting back up. And I don't know where you're at today. But I believe God's wanting to touch our hearts today. And if you're here today and you haven't lived with the fear of God, if you're here today and you know what, you look at your life and you say, man, I haven't given God thanks. If you're here today and you need a touch from heaven where you say, Father God, I'm coming to you, but what would happen if we came to these altars today and say, Lord, 
grace me with the fear of you, a reverential fear. I want to live with a fear for you, but I also want to obey you because the fear of God is paralleled with the obedience to God. Change my heart today, Lord. Change my heart. And so as our team gets ready to sing here, I, I welcome you to come down today. Or you just come before God and say, Father God, I, I need a touch of heaven today. I've lived, but I, I haven't lived with a reverential fear. If that's you, I just welcome you to come down here. I believe God's going to touch you today. Go ahead. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.